Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to another episode of Brevity Box. It is me, Charlie, Triple C, joined as always by my partner in crime. Am I your partner in crime, Brando, or are you mine? That's a real chicken or egg kind of thing. (laughs) Right. Which one came first? Which one came first? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us again. We have uh, hopefully another exciting episode. If you are joining us for the first time, Brevity Box is a podcast where we basically every episode fail. And what do we call ourselves? What do we call ourselves? Two first class American nobodies. Oh, that's right. I forgot. That's how important we are. Yeah, we are two first class American nobodies and we suck at brevity. And I like to get on my soapbox. So you do the math. Brevity box. We try to bring a little bit of uh, clarity about people that we admire. Uh, Sometimes we have guests that are also hosts on uh, the network that sponsors the show, Ruminations Radio Network which has several different podcasts covering a great variety of topics, whether it's your obsession with horror movies or now uh, joining on a real deep dive into a lifelong love affair with metal and uh, that kind of jam rock. Uh, We also have uh, Retro Futurist Culture, which I I I had no idea. I knew I was going to be a fan. But everything from Blade Runner to RoboCop, um, I didn't know how many things I was a fan of that were classified as retro futurist culture. Did you know about that category heading? I knew a a little bit about it. Blade Runner is pretty much one of my all-time favorite movies, so kind kind of aware of the whole retro futurist thing. Great show. Definitely Great host. Definitely cooler than the steampunk weirdos. Well, I think it's kind of intertwined a little bit in there. And, and hey, I'm 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 a fan of some steampunk, but we've got a, a good yeah, variety yeah. of shows. And and if you if you have a second, you should take a second and go and check us out at www.ruminationsradionetwork.com, and you will get a really clear presentation of what we have to offer. Starting with the granddaddy podcast of them all, Ruminations from the Red Room, with your host Mitch, who is all warm and fuzzy and we all love him here he's the reason why we're all here today is one of those days where we have another guest who's also a host of his own podcast on the show we're gonna bring him on in a second and talk to him and let him explain to you in his own words uh what his ambitions are but man do i have a lot to say and i've enjoyed his show uh anthony pavlich i'm gonna call him tony uh, he's joining us today. We're going to have uh, um, a really exciting conversation about a lot of different topics that he's going to cover. I don't want to give too much away. His podcast is uh, Ruminations of Tony's Tall Tales. I'm not going to get too much into defining it. I'm going to let him do that. But for now, Brando, the What's stimulus that? checks are coming. The stimulus checks are coming. Biden signed the bill. I don't want to do deep dive in politics, but is it is it nice that I'm not... Or is it crazy that I'm not uh, as paying as much attention these days? Like, I kind of am happy I don't have to mainline this uh, news feed 
of political upheaval and ups and downs. It's nice to have it boring. I think you called it, right? You called it last year, make make politics boring again. Yeah, and uh, with very few exceptions, politics are pretty boring. We're recording this on Friday, March 12th, and last night I watched uh, President Biden address the nation after signing the most recent uh, Relief Act. And it was just unusual hearing our president talk selflessly about something that had been done to the country. <laughs> it gave me this weird thing that I haven't felt in a while deep down in my stomach. I think I, I think I used to call it hope. Hope? I think you might be confusing it. I think, but, I think but maybe there, you... <laughs> there was one moment I really loved when, and maybe I'm just reading too far into it, but I thought he took a, tr- a swipe at the Trumps for getting their vaccinations back in January in secret, and they did it in public. Yeah, I I mean, you know, I'm not going to go deep dive into uh thinking back that far. It's too stressful. It you know, I'm just I'm I'm really just kind of wanted to bring it up even just for a moment to kind of remind everybody how quiet it is. You know, and how it's uh it's I prefer this, you know, where you know, we're going into better better times and I'm looking forward to them. We're sort of clearly at the end of COVID vaccines are rolling out you mentioned hope and i am feeling more uh hopeful i'm not you know again i know i could probably point out some uh states to my left and my right me being in louisiana that are um not going about things the way that i think is reasonable but at the same time i really am just happy to know that sometime around the summer everybody's going to be able to just get as close to normal as we've been in a year and a half. And I, I'm with you, man. I'm all about the hope right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm just waiting for my chance to go get the needle in my arm. And <laughs> while we were talking about this before the, uh, we hit the record button, I just had a thought about how they could market this a little bit better. Basically a bunch of morons already believe that Bill Gates has a tracker chip in the COVID vaccine, but mine's in my get, phone. But but maybe they'll get on board if we tell them that it comes with one year of Xbox Live Game Pass. <laughs> the the Bethesda vaccine? The Yes, yes. The the Bethesda strain of the vaccine. I'm going to want to talk to you about that in a second. And, and for those of you who don't know, I'll explain it later. But I want to take a step back for a moment. You know, it's like you said, you're counting the moments until you can get the needle in your arm. By the way, a sentence that would have frightened me in almost every other year. But now it's like, oh, what a hopeful statement. That's pretty funny to me. Um, So look, neither one of us are spending that same, well, not idiots, but we're also not spending the same amount of time, Mm. right? Having to read to try to understand what the hell's going on. What have you been filling your time with? Because, you know, we're both fans of YMH. We both know Christina P's got a, a mean uh, TikTok feed, and she's always promoting it. And listen, you sent me a couple, and and now <laughs> my wife is getting hooked. Yep i i got I got suckered in watching a a black Chihuahua prance to music, and literally, I think it was to the 40, music from Beatles. More to the Chihuahua, yeah. It was a Harry Belafonte song. It was that's right, Harry, Harry Belafonte, Shake Sonora. Uh, yeah, I mean, the dog was jumping around like he was a river dancer. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, due to some urging from coworkers, I've I've gone down the black hole that is TikTok. And boy, oh boy, 
I got some findings to report. Oh man, lay it on me. So first of all, you know, you you kind of wind up in different lanes of of the talk. Uh, I somehow found myself in you know cartel talk, the cartel talks. Oh my! So it's real cool seeing a bunch of like Los Zetas playing around with automatic weapons and just throwing money and drugs around. That's real interesting. <laughs> um, I can't bring myself to watch. I haven't even I I, I haven't even ventured to look at it. I feel oh, like oh that's that's nothing. Too, uh, that, that's oh that, that's nothing so far. This You're scaring weird. the shit out of me right now. Every now and then, you gotta split it up and go to you know the the dog lane of TikTok. Okay, All right, that's all right with me. I like that. After that, that, I have a bunch of you know surgeons, so I see some pretty gnarly stuff. Uh, That sounds like my wife's lane. Yeah, can't do that stuff, man. Uh, There's basically what uh, I think are called the thirst traps, which are basically just hot women doing dancing around. It's like, okay, you know, you got it, flaunt it. Good on you. Um, <laughs> Brando, I think you might want to spell that out so that uh, people, <laughs> some of the, uh, some of the uh, certain demographic out there that might be listening might really want to know what you looked up to get that. It was just there, man. It was just there. That was like Perfect time. talk number three I saw from when I installed the app. I need to check it out. Yeah. You sent me some links. I need to check it out. This is all yeah. stuff you've discovered while working from home. Yeah, this is what this is how I spend my free time now. Because time is a flat circle and it is totally meaningless. Is that to say you've got some uh some woes or war stories from uh your remote work life? You've been out of corporate America for a long time. Yeah. You never had to experience how fucking annoying it is. When someone hits reply all to an email when they should have just been replying to the sender, and now I'm locked into a ridiculous email chain I have nothing to do with. And you keep getting notifications? Yeah, you keep getting notifications. The same people that do that are the ones that don't mute their fucking microphone when it's a 120-person department virtual meeting. Oh, God. And so what inevitably happens is the speaker... Well, the person who's talking, their voice comes out of that person's laptop, feeds into their microphone, which feeds back into the chat, which creates a crazy distorting echo. And I've been taking great pleasure in figuring out who the unmuted person is when this happens and just calling them out in public chat. (laughs) With your, like, principal from high school voice, I could just see that rolling over somebody glazed, totally shocked. Hey, Karen, mute your mic. I've gotten some pleasure in watching some of the Zoom meeting, like, you know, uh, faux pas when somebody is in a dress shirt and then they get up, forget their cameras on, and they're in, you know, like uh, boxer briefs, but like red boxer briefs with a dragon, like across the ass or something. And everybody on the screen is laughing, but they can't get a hold of them. Those are hilarious. I'm sure I would be that guy. My company uses a uh, Cisco stuff, not Zoom. Um, you know, WebEx is a pretty, pretty powerful communication tool. But when someone does a video call, just like one on one, if you hit accept, boom, you're on camera. When you join a meeting, it takes you to a, like a, a you know, a loading screen where you can say, "Oh, do I want to be muted or unmuted? Do I want my camera on or off?" Yeah, it's interesting when people forget to turn their cameras off and you see someone, you know, 
picking their nose or, you know, just, just wearing some possibly really inappropriate stuff, even though we're working from home. It's like, we don't need to see all that titty. <laughs> Look, all you have to do is tell him. I'm sure he'll put on a shirt. Hmm. But no, um, the first time my supervisor called me over that software, I wasn't wearing a shirt. My hair was messed up and I had three days of stubble and I didn't realize the camera would turn on. Oh my, you, <laughs> you her beauty. And I, her, and you I had beauty. A, her and I had a really good laugh about that. My goodness. Yeah, it, there's, uh, God, that would be so crazy awkward. Yeah. I don't feel for you. I don't feel for you at all. Well, it's, it's it's nice. I can go into the office a couple days a week when I what I want just to change things up a little bit. So my my life could be a lot worse. Really, I, I it's it's a total first world problem I deal with. I still have a job, thankfully. A lot of people can't say the same. No, that's true. But I do not want to think about the jobs they don't have. Let's say they're all going to get jobs tomorrow. Let's hope so, at least. I know a lot of people are on the turnaround. At least, uh, like I said, stimulus is coming. And, uh, you know, apparently already hitting accounts to some people. Yeah, I read about that. But you you know what that tells me is uh, kind of to your point. The adults you know, are in charge were, again. We can set that aside for sure. Yeah. OK, yes. Sorry. I'll just say yes. No, but, you know, you, you said earlier a way to make sure that everybody voted was to tie it to a, a year of Xbox One Game Pass. And I called it the Bethesda deal. I want to get PlayStation into that network, bit. you know, pick your poison. I don't really care. Well, for sure. But, you know, in terms of current events, one of the biggest things that have come out, if you're a, a gamer or if you're a, a fan of Good Story and maybe you're looking forward to getting that, that Xbox is just not restocking fast enough in the stores around you. Um, Microsoft just acquired a company by the name of Bethesda, well, by ZeniMax, who owns Bethesda. And for those of gamers out there, that's uh, even if you don't play their games, you know who they are. And if you aren't a gamer, we're going to talk about games for a second. So uh, bear with me. The Elder Scrolls games have terrible plots there. I said it. You can say that. Um, They're I, very I don't fun think games with media. I think it's a shared opinion. The main thing is that those games are known, whether it's uh, Fallout, mm-hmm. which is a sort of dystopian kind of story. You, you know what? Actually, I think now is a good time. Get him in here. To, yeah, to bring in Anthony. because. Uh, Tony, can I call you Tony? Yes. Welcome to the show. You you asked that almost (laughs) seductively. It was weird. (laughs) I was was trying to make it a little weird. Now, hey, Tony, thank you for coming on the show. I'm excited to talk to you about your podcast. Uh, But I really, after a few conversations that we've had, I am really confident that you know more about story development than I do. I think I have a lot of good instincts, but one of the things I love about gaming, and I know you game too, is when I, as an adult, you know, I need to kind of qualify that, right? I'm not looking to to hack and slash simply. I I really want the same things I look for in any narrative, whether that's a book, a TV, television show, miniseries, movie. I really like character development. I really like well-thought-out story, well-implemented story. And gaming adds a little bit of a different atmosphere, but in the end, it still boils down to that story. And this company that Microsoft is acquiring and going to make, for the most part, exclusive, uh, are really, really known for their, 
I don't even know the right word. You could probably tell me a better word. How would you describe uh, titles like, you know, Skyrim and and Fallout? I mean, these are games that you can put uh, hundreds of hours into and not flesh everything they've put into it. How would you describe them? Yeah, it's just there, there's an epic um, quality about them. There's a scale that I think very few games do as well. Just they're grandiose. You know, you're, you're taking into a completely different um, world that is just so large, so massive. And I think, I think it really helps um, with the fantastic angle you know, the, the, the fantasy element, I think helps a lot with that. Um, so that's how I would, I would describe them. And they, they do it in different genres, right? You know, you have, uh, again, for those of you who've never played it or who are listening, you know, these are games that they take, uh, almost, well, I guess, I guess when fallout is, uh, a retro future culture quality to it, right? Uh, it's it, it's an incredible dystopic narrative, and you're in a world that they've really created. And they do the same thing in a fantasy genre, where you'll have, um, you know, think think Lord of the Rings fantasy universe. It's not Tolkien; it's their own creation, but very much like that. And I mean, this is something where the story plays out, where you seek out the uh, the actors, so to speak, and it and they carry the narrative forward. Yeah, I think you're right because they're the fantastical quality. We've been seeing a lot of it in, in different genres, you know, uh, the Fallout, Doom, Rage, even uh, the Wolfenstein series. Just all Bethesda's titles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's pretty outstanding because I remember too um, uh, the Wolfenstein, the new one that they did. Um, just kind of blown away by that. You know, same thing like you were talking about this, the, the story elements and the narrative driving a lot of, of what they were trying to do. But in these incredible um, worlds, um, obviously, Doom, I think, being one of the best example, recent examples, um, just your your dog clearly disagrees. With what you're saying. <laughs> I just or want to they're, say they're, they're, they're in, you know, they're in agreement, actually. <laughs> no, he's totally just rooting you on. He's like, preach, preach. You talk about it. <laughs> I love Rage. That was my favorite game. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because I forgot that Deathloop is um, their title as well. And I think that's, there's been a lot of hype coming from that, especially after um, they showcase some, um, some more footage from the state of play that just happened. Um, so there's some intriguing elements, um, that that game is pulling together. That's, uh, almost in a completely different genre than, uh, the more, uh, fantasy element. It's exciting. I mean, if, if you're, I mean, if you're, I mean, I think all adult gamers, uh, probably share that in common. I mean, I think it's probably more cut and dry, right? You're either the kind of gamer who doesn't want anything to do with long or deep narrative and you just want to play, um, you know madden or something real quick and then go away and those fifa weirdos i am also a fifa weirdo yeah i know why i said it (laughs) but yeah i i think that the other side is you know um and look there's a lot to watch out there and with everybody being home and sort of captive audience so to speak i think that's that's driven a lot of game console sales i think it's gotten a lot of those 
you know, narrative games that we've kind of had on the brain lately, whether you're talking about uh, Last of Us type of of game where the the narrative again is a really incredibly fleshed out story uh or like what we're saying these these sandbox open world creating games um how does you know being that you're so focused on being you know like you're you're producing a, a screenplay of your own and you've got things that you're working on as a as a with your ambitions to become the, a writer and be a writer and when you go into games like this and you know, do you see some of those things, some of those tenants, I guess, if you will, that you've picked up or learned or, or that you see in other more broadly accepted media? Like, do you see those things and have a critique for those things when you see them play out in a interactive format? Do you feel like there's different tools there to tell the story? Well, clearly, right. Cause you're, you're playing. The yeah. The thing is it, it's, it's interesting. Cause I feel like through, all different mediums the the fundamentals are always the same but the way you have to construct it or at least look at it is a lot different because you know constructing a narrative for a game is very different than constructing a narrative for a play um versus you know screenplay um so it's it's very fascinating because because of the interactive element with games um it has its own challenges because you are inviting the player into a story but you as a writer and as a creator you're still trying to do the same things that any other creator is doing in a different medium you know you're trying to evoke um some sort of feeling out of your audience you know you're trying to, to trying to guide them through some sort of uh vision to make them feel something you know and that can either be you know something really um, thrilling. That could be something really dramatic. That could be something really, you know, pulling at the heartstrings. Um, so it's 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 it, it really I think is just kind of the same thing in the sense of you're trying to invoke a feeling and an experience for you for uh, your audience, whoever they may be, whether it be a reader or whether it be a player. Um, you want them to experience something something pretty profound. That's a sense of awareness. I think that would, I don't know how it would affect my, my playthrough on a game. Right. Or even, I don't, do, do you find that you enjoy, uh, I mean, like, are you, are you a, a reader? Do you, yes. do you read a lot? Yes. Okay. So do you find that the more, as you have grown into your skill set for writing your own material, does it help you enjoy things that you've loved or, 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 you know, reading, for instance, do you feel like you get more out of the book do you, or do you feel like it kills it? Like, do you know where it's yeah. going before it gets there? That's a great point because I've known, I noticed that a lot when, uh, you know, doing a lot of acting, you, you, and I, you know, what's interesting. I don't think you enjoy it any less or your enjoyment changes. It's just, you become a lot more, I don't like to use critical because critical has a negative connotation, but you you start to appreciate the ones that do it really really well, because you can still be taken away by the same sort of uh, feeling, but you are your refinement, I guess, which you know is your taste. You know they become more refined because you appreciate ones that are very very good, but yeah, me the mediocre ones don't really 
pass the mustard anymore because you you understand that the execution isn't as as uh uh it's just it's hard to go back to stuff to stuff that's not good when you kind of know well, yeah, how it's constructed yeah but also yeah. too when you've experienced stuff that's really good that's why we keep gravitating towards you know no matter what it is in our life stuff that we really just like and enjoy because we know it's consistently good so i'm gonna get that you know burrito <laughs> at the place that i like <laughs> down the corner every night because it's just consistently i know it's always going to be good so you know you 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 touched on acting and uh i have to you know i i had i did not know i think i i tried to avoid having any preconceived notions about what your show was going to be and i've listened to every episode you've got at this point and man it's it surprised me because i think every episode is really different and I, I thought, I guess I had it in my head, maybe I assumed that it was going to be sort of a, an ongoing thing, but it's been, I've learned a lot about you, and uh, I've learned, uh, and, and, you know, you talk very openly about it, and I've enjoyed the hell out of it, man, you know, Thanks, and man. You, 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 you touch on acting, and I think in your, uh, it wasn't your introductory podcast with Mitch, I think it was the one you were doing on your own, where you were talking about how you started off being interested in technology. And that you had gotten to a point where you'd taken an acting class and just fell in love, found your place, right? Yeah. It was it was basically yeah, it was the 180. I um I was going back to school because the company I was with at the time they um had, had tuition reimbursement, and I just thought I would take advantage of it. And one of the electives I ended up taking was the acting 101. And boy, yeah, once once I got into that class, it was. It was oh boy, this is this is what I really want to do. <laughs> well, and and but you know to, before Isn't that I go the plot on about of the TV show Barry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, we haven't gotten to the part where we talk about the assassin that he's yeah. Okay. He's we're still early in the story. The technology was a ruse. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. So before I go on, you know, I know we're not a, a video based podcast, but. If, if for those of you listening, if you took a moment and you do go to uh, ruminationsradionetwork.com and just look for a picture of Anthony Pavlich, uh, <laughs> you'll understand this next question. So did you just realize you look exactly like the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Or did you say, I think I can get more roles? No, I, 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 think I, it was like, I think it was a combination of, you know, hearing it from other people like, God damn. And then... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> and ironically, one of the very yeah, first like jobs, Jesus. yeah, the very first jobs that I got when I came to California was a reenactment piece called Sci- uh, Science of the Bible, where I did replay our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> a reimagineactment? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So tell us a little bit about your, uh, you know, I, I, I did not look up your your resume on your acting prowess, but you make a couple of references there. Okay, so you found a reenactment. Uh, what else? Like, can you give us a, a have you have you had the embarrassing um, like Pringles commercial or something mm-hmm. like that? 
Well, I did have a, uh, ironically, out here was a um, University of Phoenix. I played a hot dog stand guy. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Were you just saving people, like, you know, washing people's feet and bringing them back to life? Oh, I wish it was that. It was, but it's also selling hot dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nope, it was literally me handing a hot dog to a guy and, yeah, turning around. <laughs> and the rest is history. The rest is history. Um, there is yeah. a, <laughs> go ahead, please. No, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, there is a, a funny, uh, SNL bit where, uh, I think it's, uh, is it Emma Stone is trying to, she's only got a role where she's supposed to play the wife of this guy who clearly wants to have uh, relations with another guy. But she's busy talking to the director about where her characters come from <laughs> and how she's building this backstory about when they met and how it all got to this place. And it's so funny. And I think it really talks like, I, again, I haven't taken the same uh, kind of interest in writing myself, but being a movie fan and being a lover of that kind of story and narrative those are always the things I'm looking for in the characters I'm watching. So I found that kind of thing hilarious, right? Yeah. When you were going in for hot dog, Jesus, which by the way, <laughs> great, great band name. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hot dog. Jesus is great. But yeah, I mean, when you're going in there, did you, did you play into that joke at all where you're like, I'm going to be a war vet that can't find. War. <laughs> no, but and the only thing smart, I can do if is... <laughs> I'm smart, I should have, I should have been taking that leaning hard into it. no i i when i when i got into it unfortunately i was uh and uh, this is what i've struggled with for many years especially at the beginning was uh, just too fucking serious i think i i was the whole like not method but i was like the serious dramatic actor like i had i had to be like on point i had to i had to find the gravitas i had to work towards trying to you know be this amazing dramatic actor and so if i had really found kind of myself a little bit quicker i probably would have added a lot more of the lightness which then would allowed me to really just play you know just like because the quicker this is what the trick was that with acting is the ironic thing is they think you have to put so much effort into it but that is it, it's kind of like the the boxer when uh which is ironic too because i took boxing for a time for because i was preparing for a role nice <laughs> and, and what i was taught was that actually you step into your opponent's punch because then what you do is you reduce they shorten the range yes you shorten the range and you take less of the hit and that's but that's counterintuitive because we instinctually you know the lizard brain is telling us no step away from the punch but no you'll actually eat more of it well and you know where the power is at the end of that depending on the punch but yeah yes so but if you step into it you are actually deflecting a lot of that you're taking less of the impact um so it's the same with acting is we think we have as an actor a lot of times we get so wrapped up into the technique and we have to do all this work the irony of is you don't when you let go and you actually bring yourself to the role or to whatever it is that you're doing you actually it's effortless acting should be effortless and when that happens we freak out because we think we're not doing anything we're not doing enough because i'm not enough 
And it's like, no, all of us are unique. So when you bring yourself to it, you're already bringing your uh, uh, scent to whatever it is that you're performing. So you don't have to force that scent. It already is happening. You just lift the leg and you pee. And I love that. <laughs> it's, and it's, a, it's that's your just, first shirt, bud. That's yeah, shirt. <laughs> lift your leg and pee. <laughs> just lift the leg. And, and now that I'm the proud owner of www.hotdogjesus.com, let's <laughs> go, Daddy. We can have that. We can have that URL. Go to your merch page. I love you, Brando. Love that man. And you know what? That's probably going to make me more money now than I ever did in my acting career. <laughs> hot dog Jesus. Hot dog Jesus. I will create Hot dog a Jesus definitely character. has a southern accent. Yeah, hot dog Jesus. <laughs> you will get the finest beef frank you've had in all of the I-10 South. <laughs> Man, the hot dog Jesus is really my favorite plot, thing. Plot ever. twist, hot dog Jesus is Mexican and works at Weto Canelo. <laughs> oh man listen i believe it you give me a sonoran hot that is hot dog jesus for me you're right a bacon wrapped hot oh my god oh my god i would uh so uh, oh yeah oh, I, would shit, I know where i'm crimes. going for lunch tomorrow yeah i would commit some crimes for that <laughs> absolutely i wonder if you could fedex a hot dog <laughs> we, we're gonna put the box will just be disgusting and i'll probably still eat it with shame Pretty interesting, man. You know, I know that, um, you know, I know we're talking about acting. I, actually, before I get into asking you about your your history with comics and, and love of comics, what you said there about acting brings to mind something that I heard on uh, another podcast with much, much more famous people than any of us. Uh, but I, I don't know if you listen to Smartless. Um, it is not really that, that old. So it's uh, Will Arnett jason bateman and man i please forgive me for not remembering this guy's name but uh just jack from will and grace um and oh I forget his name. um oh, shit yeah rando you might have to tick that up for me and, and remind me so i can feel bad in a second but oh well don't the, worry those three guys uh i had no idea that they've been friends for ages throughout the whole career and they know each other's secrets and the thing that makes the show work is that because they've known each other for so long, it's like the jokes and the ribbing and the things are all right there. And they're clearly love each other and are used to each other. And, and obviously they know a lot of famous people. So their weekly episodes, they have somebody famous on who gets on. And, and a lot of times it's a, not something I'm very interested in. I don't want to go throwing, you know, people making them sound like I think they suck or something, but I wasn't as interested in Reese Witherspoon as I was Brian Cranston. No shade on Reese Witherspoon, but I just didn't care. Um, but one of the conversations that Jason Bateman, who people should know from a lifetime of work, but most recently things like uh, Arrested Development, which was a huge hit, and also Ozark on Netflix. Mm -hmm. um, really funny guy. But, you know they had been posed a question cranston and brian cranston of uh breaking bad fame and uh malcolm in the middle before that if mm -hmm. you, which i love that story of acting uh the guy goes from the 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 clumsy dad and malcolm in the middle to uh <laughs> you know scarface yeah, yeah basically right uh heisenberg 
But yeah, you know, they had this conversation that was triggered by the question if they knew it was going to be a hit. Like, did they know Breaking Bad was going to be a hit? Did uh, Jason Bateman know that Arrested Development was going to be a hit? And one of the things they said that that I was reminiscing on because of something you just talked about is that, you know, they they were very serious early on because they were worried about if what they were doing was going to be a hit and mm-hmm. that uh, they both agreed in, in almost in unison to this, that all they could control was what they did and that they could be present yes. and they couldn't rely on the person in front of them. And re- they just could only be there in the moment and do their work and really hope that the person in front of them was to able to play a ball with them and that they would work with each other and whether they felt like it worked or not, they felt like all you can do is that. And then you have to leave it there and trust and, and wait and see what happens and you never know. And then when it happens, even then sometimes you don't believe it. Yeah. And it, you know, I really appreciated the fact that they, they focused on, in a way that I hadn't, well, and I wouldn't have thought to think of it that way, that they really do just focus on what you were saying there, right? Of really just being in the moment and being very relaxed and, and reacting and, and being able to, um, I mean, they didn't use the word improv, but work with what your co-workers are giving you was really what they were saying. And and that the hits or the successes would come, that that wasn't in your control. That was the big thing they said. That's not up to them. Like yes. It takes a lot more than that. So they, they're, so it, it sounds similar, which, I mean, look, I don't know what that means, but those guys are clearly uh, very successful. Seems like you might be on the right track with your acting. Well, percent. then there, there was a quote that uh, Martha Graham uh, said years ago. She was a, a famous dancer, uh, extremely gifted uh, choreographer. Um, she, she essentially said that, uh, and I'll quote it verbatim, it is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. So it goes back to that point. It's like, it's not your job to be, to put a, uh, to determine whether it, what it is. It's only your job to be the vessel for whatever it is being expressed. So when you stop caring about how it's going to be perceived or how it will be reviewed, then you can do your best work because then you're kind of free. You're free to just be in that moment to, allow the character's journey the narrative to flow through you and then it you know then then the audience will determine you know whether they like it or what impact it has on them um that's 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 not out of your that's not within your control so that's yeah it's so great when you hear actors who have like credibility you know that have been successful that they they say the same thing do you find that your your passion for writing and for theater and for screenplay now that like after you discovered it right like post technology interests after acting 101 after you know that's what you're going for do you look back at your childhood and and remember a movie or a series of movies like what was that first wow movie where you 
the story and the narrative like when did you looking back when would you say you came online and and fell in love with storytelling was it through comics was it through a television show was it through an old movie did you love the goonies was this about the goonies? <laughs> was one i willy one i willy got you good i think I don't think it was interesting. It's interesting because I don't think I really started honing in on the story elements until much later. I don't think it was until I started taking some classes in um, writing where I actually started uh, viewing it. What, what, what I think what ended up happening was a lot of, whether it be games, whether it be comics, whether it be um, books, what I did notice is that there was an, uh, an, an immense feeling that I got experiencing stuff that really triggered me. Um, and I think it more of I wanted to be able to recreate that feeling in, in anything, in something that I did. And story tended to come over the last couple of years of a way that I could probably do that so it wasn't like and it was interesting because there wasn't like i was a, a kid and was thinking i'm gonna be an actor you know it just kind of happened it wasn't something that i was dreaming about doing i thought I, I thought i was gonna be in technology for the rest of my life right and i still am but i thought at that time that was what could be my career was and the big shift happened Right, the big shift. Well, I mean, did you have a preferred, like, um, you know, a lot of us talk about shows or, or comics that we liked. I mean, even if it's books, I know that when I was a kid, I um, I had, I, I, I still like Orson Scott Carb. And mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of kids that read uh, Ender's Game and, and got taken away into the storyline of it. And it definitely made an impression on, on, uh, on me as a kid and it, it kind of directed some of my interests in games or in comics um big wolverine fan mm -hmm. right uh, especially just individual wolverine comics there are others that uh, i enjoyed and um and obviously i'm in the heyday of movies right now because a lot of comics that i loved are being made into films yeah uh, what was your your childhood can't avoid it gotta have it comic um, yeah, I was big in the X-Men. Um, I, I, I was pretty much into a lot of different stuff. I really, my, my two favorites are Wolverine and Batman, um, and yeah. Spider-Man. I did a lot of Spider-Man, especially, uh, the Mark Bagley run, you know, when he was doing that, that run with, uh, with, um, the Sinister Six, you had the parents come back, um, the the Todd McFarlane um, era, so Spider Man was big. Uh, That's the name was, too, man. Todd McFarlane. Yeah, come a long way. Um, yeah, I was big into Image because I was right there when Image broke. So um, that whole you know Spawn, Savage Dragon, um, a lot you of a comic called Profit. I think Image yes. had a yeah Profit was good too. Yeah, so I was kind of in. Just anything that I could get my hands on, really. I mean, like, right. I just, I was just kind of enthralled with just all of it. You know, X Men was really big at that time in the '90s. Um, there was uh, Batman, obviously, was doing some crazy stuff. Um, 
yeah, a lot of Marvel, just just the whole collection. But my my mainstays, I I, I remember were Spider Man, Batman, and Wolverine. Those were those are the ones I gravitated to to a lot. Well, and those are really rich storylines. I know that that there may be some people out there that um, don't think there's any merit to some mm. of that, but you're talking about you know episodic, uh, ongoing long-lasting storylines than characters that are fleshed out, which, I mean, it was one of my big arguing points for anybody who would shun the uh, the big-name actors going and doing Marvel films back before they knew it was going to be successful. Mm-hmm. It was it was really everybody who ever I fo- was throwing those critiques around didn't understand what I was presuming those actors saw was this depth of material to flesh out these characters mm-hmm. right i mean it, all the answers seemed to be in front of them if they could put it together and these great actors were able to do so yeah um, and it's it's been like i said i'm in my heyday seeing all that come true um so as an actor fan of comics clearly in love with the narrative i i had said earlier that i had um gone back and revisited your podcasts i've already listened to them when they come out but i went back and revisited them over the couple of last couple of days knowing that you were coming on the show and man you know that i was really taken back by the last 20 minutes of i guess it's episode three right or was it is it episode four i think it's episode three yeah, I think I think up. there's four technically four episodes, but they're I think the because the first one was like just the intro. The, was uh, the intro with Mitch. prologue? Right, right. I called it <laughs> prologue. Right? No, you're fair. Fair. You know, I have to say, um, what caught me there at the end? First off, I love that you. One of the statements you made that I want you to go a little further into. And I encourage everybody to listen to it. This isn't like a spoiler alert or anything. But, you know, you you mentioned that you keep trying to find things that will keep you coming back. And that, you you know, that you're going to stay at it. You got to show up. Yeah. You hit that nail several times. And it's something that I, uh, you know, I... I believe in that statement for my own reasons. And, and I was already drawing like, uh, you know, simple construction parallels that, you know, a lot of times doing a good job. Uh, I like my, my, my dad would say things like it's simple, but not easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And, and that, that statement that you were making that, you know, you seek things that will make you keep showing up and you have to keep showing up because you have to just trust the process. And that doesn't mean that the process is always going to be fun or that it's always going to be good, but you have to trust it. And that that's what separates people who are successful and who aren't. And man, I think from that point through the last, like I said, last 20 minutes of that episode, it brought the other two episodes before it and the, the the chunk of the early part of that episode brought it all into focus and it really made a statement to me about the you know the man that's that's going after these ambitions right it was such a great statement and there's more i want to ask you about but go into that a little bit for us because i think that's compelling i think it's very relatable and human 
And immediately when you said it, I felt like I could identify with you. Like, and I know we don't have the longevity of a relationship that you and Mitch do. And I, I've clearly, I think we get along really well, but man, that the way that was said was so earnest. And uh, I'm going to shut up now and let you talk about it. I was just so impressed. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I, I just, it's, it's one of those things where just learned, you know, like un- understanding that, because again, I think I mentioned in the, in the episode that I, I understood um, that I, and I think it's, it's, it's part of the culture. I think it's part of just this instant gratification society that we are, are unfortunately um, that's cycling around us where everything has to Brando. happen. You're talking about Brando. Yeah. yeah like, I know. Yeah, yeah. It, that's, I got yeah, you. He's much. right there. You don't have to, he's, you don't have to act like he's not there, man. He's right there. <laughs> but, but I am like one of the most impatient people that I, I know. And I think what's been the, the biggest struggle is that showing up consistently because I want the tangible. I'm, I'm very, empirical and i think that's why i do really well in technology is like it's ones and zeros man right it's either it's on or off and so there's not a lot you know you can immediately get results if i make a change here then it works if it doesn't work well i do something else and i can get it to work with any sort of creative endeavor you you've not seen those results you know until weeks down the line months down the line fucking directors they're they're working you know christopher nolan worked on tenet for what years and so you just have to have that drive to be able to just keep showing up and know that something's going to come out at the end now again part of that is you aren't trying to show up to say this is going to be fucking amazing. I mean, everybody hopes their shit's good, you know. But if you can keep showing up, not worried about that, just know that if I put the brick down one by one, I'm going to have a fucking wall at the end of it. Right, step by step, small move. Exactly. Now, whether that wall is going to hold up, <laughs> that's another story. Or if it's going to look, you know, you know, super primo. If it's your first time doing it, you you're not, you can't bypass the work. You know you can't find out what it it can be or will be until you actually do it. And so that's really what I was trying to impart. That you know we you can take all the, the classes and you can say what's the secret to you know like you just mentioned some of these uh, uh, creatives. What's their success? You know, you know I've been studying other writers. What's their success? It, they might have a different process, but the process, the fundamental of the process is they still show up to put the work in. You just can't get around it. And if you want to be, you know, worth any sort of measure of salt, then you, you, you can't bypass that. There's no, there's no substitute for that. You, you mentioned that there was something you said when you were speaking about that in that episode three, um, where Again, it was one of those moments, um, and I think what it is is that you know it isn't hard to go out and and find, and probably not very hard where you are because you're in California. But you know you can probably go somewhere and find somebody who 
has zero humility, thinks that they know it all mm-hmm. about the creative process in writing, and and has zero give about that. And so you kind of know when you're hearing that from somebody. And I think what, again, what impressed the hell out of me is almost verbatim what you were just saying about the process and not being able to change it. You have this, again, a moment of just pure relatability because you just simply bluntly state, I I don't, you said, I think I'm in the middle of figuring my process out. Yeah. Like, and I mean, that, yeah, I, I just found it, there's a quality there. There's an endearing quality there that made me want to listen more. You know, just having having that person on the other end basically telling you what they are figuring out in real time and then saying, but hey, I'm in the middle of putting this all together myself. And I I kind of that's when it started hitting me that this like those few episodes to me felt like you were really sharing why like your passion for for writing and that it's okay to be figuring it out not you don't you know what i mean to be in that process and and you're sort of telling people you're sort of like a like a trailblazer would be right you're lighting these fires along a dark path you know what i mean (laughs) saying here's as far as i've gotten and i'm trying to help people along the way yeah thanks man it's just because again it goes back to the thing where it's so easy to get down on ourselves and it goes back to like how when i was approaching acting in the beginning was you know, we, we try to, we try to, we're very, we're our worst critics, you know, like to ourselves. And so we might beat ourselves up and say, we're not doing this or we're not doing enough, or I've got to put so much effort, you know, when really it's okay to feel however you feel. And if you just kind of let go, um, a little bit over this sense of, um, control or whatever it is that we feel we have to steer it's okay to sometimes just drift, you know, just, just let the wave take you where it wants to take you, you know, and just, just allow yourself to, to, to breathe and yeah, just kind of just wade, you know, wade through uh, the uncomfortability or wade through the, uh, the fear or wade through what it might feel like when you don't have a direction, you know, it's okay to just, just sit there. And, and just kind of be taken by whatever it is that you're feeling or experiencing in that moment. And that's because, again, it goes back once you start, when you stop trying to force your way to where you should be going, you actually start getting guided to a way that's going to be probably a lot more um, opening, you know, and a lot more um, inspiring, a lot more uh, about, into a place where you didn't think that it was you could go into yeah you know i, I definitely want to i know that um i want to see how much of you, like what you believe now about this process was influenced by your experience in uh and because i'm a fan of of sorkin as well and i, I want to ask you about that but before i do i think i'm going to take a second here and uh get a word from our sponsors and uh, we'll be right back. You've been listening to The Brevity Box, brought to you by Ruminations Radio Network. If you like this cast or want to find some other great topics, join me, Optimist, on the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast for great discussions on all things retro future. Check it out at ruminationsradionetwork.com. 
And we are back. Welcome back to Brevity Box, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network. It's me, Triple C, again, here with Anthony Pavlich, Tony, and that guy over there, Brando. I think he's almost to the ceiling at this point. Uh, how's everything floating over there, buddy? We all float down here, Charlie. <laughs> it's legal. It's legal. <laughs> so uh i i i know that you are uh an aaron sorkin fan for people who aren't familiar with aaron sorkin uh we're people talking familiar with aaron sorkin get your fucking life together <laughs> i'm just saying maybe they aren't I'm just gonna mention a couple of shows right we got uh e- low-hanging fruit west wing uh few good men was his movie right giant nicholson tom cruise was mm-hmm. our aaron sorkin and then um newsroom I think one of my favorite creations of his on HBO. Uh, what am I missing? Are the, the sports the social talk. network sports talk. Oh, wow. Classic. Yeah. That's, I forgot about that. Sure. Did not get enough love. And I mean, you know, clearly known for his dialogue, for his written dialogue between characters. A lot of, I'm sure I'd be afraid to see the, the thickness of that script. <laughs> You know, I'm sure there's just, you know, 40 words when 10 would do. Um, but you are, have gone through and taken his master class. Yes. Now, Spill. I mean, I, I mean, dumb question, right? I mean, clearly had to be mind-blowing influential. I mean, what it, how did it change? How did it, how did it impact you? It was great because uh, the, the, uh, masterclass.com they've they've got a wealth of of classes now um and a lot of writers i mean neil gaiman's on there now uh, shonda rhimes um so it, it's interesting because again listening to these different writers they all have different processes but uh, it, it, you, the same refrain keeps popping up and it's kind of the same thing. You just got to keep working. Um, they're human too. You always, again, when you're talking about the relatability earlier, that's what I got a lot from from his class was the re- relatability. He, he'll sit there. He, he literally talked about like, you know, a typical day. And some days he's sitting there watching Sports Center for four, four, four and a half hours because he's, he can't figure out the, the ending to a scene or how he's going to get into another scene. And then he'll take a walk, he'll come back, and then he'll try to bang it out. Um, so it was just it was just refreshing to hear this person who is critically acclaimed, you know, has, has the cachet, has the experience, and has the awards. And for him, it's still the same grind. Like, <laughs> he still, he will sit there and is banging his head, figure out how he's going to put something together out of nothing. And so it was fascinating because uh, you, you, like you said, you, some of the works that we went over, it's just he, he still was able to generate some of the greatest works, especially in television, um, of our modern time. And, it's just, and it was really great, too, with the master class is that he had a group of students where they, they had a, a reenactment of what a writer's room is. And it was really great to see him go through the process of constructing an episode for West Wing. And that's essentially what they were doing. So I can't, I can't recommend it 
more. <laughs> well, I mean, and I mean, you speak about it, but you, you know, it, again, and right there towards that last 10 minute mark, or, you know, you're, you're sort of along the same lines of what you just said, but you, you, you did have that moment where you said, uh, I get down too. Like you said, I, I mean, mm-hmm. you just own it. You own that moment and say, you know, but you go right back to believing in the process and, yeah. and showing up and kind of powering through that, that, that ethic I think is um, not talked about enough. So I kind of, I mean, it, even for me who doesn't write, uh, it's inspiring. Cause I mean, it, it is the sort of the way that I had to look at things, uh, but in a more physical, like, I don't want to frame that wall. Yes, and that's it applies to everything. When you really get down to it, that's why I think it's so universal. Is because it's not just you know exclusive to one thing in life. It's everything. You know, if you want to be good at anything in life, there is a process that you have to go through. There's no shortcut to it, and you're gonna suck (laughs) the first go arounds. But I'm sure you can you can frame the fuck out of out of a wall now than you used to in the first time you did it well and, and you know you're <laughs> thanks you're right my i i but the thing is it's 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 right in line with what you're saying because it's like i i do think that once you start trimming little corners then you trim those corners and they start accumulating and my, uh, I got a bunch of Southern colloquialisms to fit in here that come from <laughs> my family down here. And my grandmother used to say, uh, watch the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. Mm. And, you know, I was five. I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. Right? I was like, you have dollars? I want all the dollars. I don't even keep the pennies. But, you know, you learn that lesson about watching the details. And... uh and I think that's true. You know, it's it's always my biggest critique in stories that I don't like, whether whatever format they come in, is that they'll take these like shortcuts. And even though it seems like a little shortcut in chapter one and two, and you mm-hmm. keep repeating it over and over and over, it does take away something significant overall. Like there, there are no shortcuts. Because it compounds. It's the thing where, yeah, pennies earn a lot. But if you get a shit ton of them, they add up. Tip and, of scale. Yeah. And it's with anything. So it, it really, it's really understanding that just the little bit that you do every day, you're not losing that on the next day. If you keep showing up, it's building and building and building so that at the end of a, a period of time, you've got, you, you got something you say, oh, shit, like this is done or I got something completed. You know, you say, speaking of having something completed, uh, I have a good opportunity here to possibly get Brando reinvigorated into the conversation and ask you this. Come on, Brando. Um, now here, here we go. Here we go. No, I'm uh, just taking it all in. It's a great conversation. What do you think is the most realistic reason that George R.R. R. Martin has not released his mm. book yet? Because... HBO's horrible ending was even better than what he was getting around to. I don't know. Oh, really? That's that, that that's just a theory that I just now came up with. 
I don't know how to. I mean, I'll tell you, man. When it came to Game of Thrones, uh, I was telling. I, don't, I was saying this recently. There's another fantasy author I'm waiting to get off his ass and finish his final book too. Patrick Rothfuss. Mm. So, but you know, Martin's one of those guys where I felt like he was. Uh, my accusation to him was that he was playing D and D, and just creating this fast and loose and didn't have an ending. He just ran out of shit to create. There was always some Deus Ex Machina. You know, so it kind of felt like, you know, some of the best D&D games I'd ever played. No, but, but, here, but here's the thing. At the end of the fifth book, the last one that was actually published, all the chess pieces were in together to, you know, start the final chapters of the entire saga. So he got himself into a good position plot wise. And that was almost, what, 11 years ago now? Hmm. Incredible. Do you think years. that some of it could be too, you know, spitballing off your idea? that they came up with something different that he may have not originally thought of. Um, so you think he had something already in place, but he kind of tossed it into the can once he saw what HBO came out with. I mean, any, I mean, anything's possible. It could just be that the last time I checked his live journal, he does nothing during football season, but eat pizza and bitch about, the Jets and the Giants. <laughs> oh, they get team no work done. Or maybe that he's pulling himself in other directions. He's helping uh, from software with a game coming out for this yeah. new generation of consoles. Yes. Yeah. Got convention tours. He uh, that's... somehow writes all of his manuscripts on a computer, I think, older than I am. The Tandy 1000. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I accuse him of not having an ending. To me, mm. uh, Brando suggests that he his ending wasn't as good as what HBO pulled off. I think he did not have an ending. HBO couldn't get him to give them one when they wanted to end the series. Mm. So they chose to move forward and create their own ending. And I think that put him in a really tough spot. And so that, because to me, if I'm thinking all of, you know, how can you, how can you go away from it? Like to me, that would be very stifling. But yeah. I'm not a writer. I'm the furthest thing from George R. R. Martin. And it's fascinating too because uh, listening to other writers, some have a clear picture of how their story is going to end. But there's also too a lot of writers that have no fucking clue. And it makes sense too for some of these huge, huge novels that are that span multiple books how the hell any of it's mapped out and there's a great adage in writing where a lot of times um i think it might have been shonda where or it might have been another author they they oh it was actually it was a writer that was working with uh sodenberg they had created a whole script he spent like eight weeks writing the whole thing out and then he gets over and they, they go over it again and they end up tossing the entire thing so wow. it's almost this weird thing where a lot of times, too, you'll start and then the story takes you in a completely different way, uh, uh, way than you thought originally. And I totally could believe both. Believe both where he didn't have an ending or the ending he had because of what he saw or there might have been elements of it. And then he was like, because of the reception of it, he was like, fuck. I can't go with that because they didn't like it. 
Um, so it's yeah, fascinating. I don't know what he would do, right? Yeah, I, I mean, for that 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 uh that size of a property in the world to to be at this sort of dead end is a little funny. And I know Brando is uh, quite irritated about it because he's been following this series since. How old were you when you read the first book, Brando? I think I was still in high school. Wow. So twenty half years your life. Yeah. Half your little more than half your life away. Yeah, mm-hmm. come on, Martin. Put put the chicken down. And honestly, too, it could be just simple. Just you're not feeling it. You know, like you just do He's not. Over it. <laughs> yeah, because of because also to think about it from, and I've heard this from other authors. When you look at it as the mountain, like what you have to, and especially too, if he's done so so much work previously. He knows what it takes to put one of these things together. You just, you just don't have the, you don't have the feeling, man, because you know it's going to be a fucking marathon, and it just, it takes a lot out of you because again, it's that whole thing of showing up every day and putting in the grind. Um, there's, there, he knows, he knows that there's no shortcut for it. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's stuck. I, I, I think it'll be something that'll be completed by somebody else at some point in the future right apparently it's like, part of his will that when he dies his notes are to be destroyed or some bullshit oh really yeah. <laughs> oh my god man dramatic jesus brandon sanderson could get those notes and have a finale cranked out within like what nine days probably i mean just why does he have to be so vindictive i don't know being a jets and giants fan does that to you i suppose <laughs> What a junky little well, bitch. Do you think, like, do you think the reception is there, there is, do you think there's a fear, legitimate fear factor that because he will be judged for all time based on the ending for this thing, that there's a fear of just like, I'm just going to leave it. Fuck it. I'll just and leave it. Look, maybe will he he's... be judged harsher for never even trying? Hey, look, maybe he's gaming us all, man. Maybe he knew the disappointment between the series finale, <laughs> and he's like, I'm just going to wait for the stank to go away off that thing oh. before I unleash this good ending. No, nah, man, nah, he's he's got to get on the ball. He ain't no spring chicken, and he eats horribly, and he's a big dude. Yeah, how old no, is you're he right, now? man. Surprise COVID. I think he's in his 80s. He's in his 80s? I think so. No, that dude does not look good. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. He does not look good. I thought it was in at least the 70s. Time to verify. Yeah, time wow. to come verify. All right, so I have an idea for you. Uh, okay, 72. I was off. Oh, seven. Well, wow. that's close enough, right? Close Still, enough. Right. Um, we can we can imagine the hill that Call Drogo riding a flaming tiger out of the sky <laughs> to smite everybody in the end was how it's going to go. I just knew it. He was going to come back. Resurrection. Um, Actually, if, if he gives us an <laughs> ending where, you know, Team Night King just takes it all, I'm 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 okay with that too. Yeah. Okay. I would have been okay with a lot of different. I didn't. I, you know. Again, I was just glad it was over. I was tired of seeing everybody walk everywhere. It's kind of how um, I felt about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm glad that I. Got I to know you did, but I, I think you're. I'm those out. are just different worlds, man. <laughs> different worlds. Different. Different show, bro. Different show. <laughs> you know, actually, Tony, I didn't get a chance to talk to you about your your screenplays or your scripts, but at the same time, I'm sure that's future. Uh, content for your show um that's the goal yes that's the goal i got an idea for you though you know maybe with as much uh clear voice talent that you've got 
at your disposal. You could put together a, a, a like even if it's just to have some fun with it, put together a, a thing where we all have to voice a part on your show and play run through a script, even if it's <laughs> ridiculous. That's a great idea. <laughs> it would be so much fun. <laughs> to, to, we'll have, we'll to, have a radio play. How about that? Uh, An old time radio play. <laughs> Tell me it would li- listen to Brando. Listen to Brando. Like Brando, say uh read something off the newspaper in that that deep toned voice. You could put him in any banker position. He's uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but you seem like a pretty capable fella. <laughs> <laughs> You're the disease and I'm the cure. Let's go to his Stallones. A bunch of Stallonisms. Yeah. Well, I I had a really good time listening to your podcast. I thank you, sir. I'm excited for the next episode. I really connected with you on a different level on the at the back end of the third one, and it it really brought the whole show a little more into focus. But uh, I don't want to leave it to me. And for those who are listening, I mean, what what's the best way to characterize? Let me put this in two parts. Now that you've done the prologue and three parts in your podcast. The first question I want you to answer for uh, the audience. And of course, for me in particular is, you know, is it what you thought it was going to be in the beginning? And then what's the best way to describe where you think you're going forward? Like what are the next three episodes look like? It's, it's pretty close to what I was thinking and kind of envisioning. Um, and I think for what I want to, you know, continue pushing forth is again, kind of a little bit of what you've touched on is, is, is using it as a means to just, yeah, uh, a little bit of a, almost like a, like a, a living journal, a living diary, kind of just like how I'm trying to navigate some of the pitfalls and challenges that I face, some of the tools and some of the um, resources that I've, I've tried to uh, utilize to overcome some of those challenges and obstacles. And just a big thing too was the accountability. Just if I, if I had something that, that was, uh, you know, putting the, the spotlight, you see, you know, giving me the, yeah. you know, where were you? Right now, I, I couldn't hide, you know, like I, if I kept putting the spotlight on me and say, okay, you want to be a fucking writer, then where's your shit? You know, like it, it would help me to keep oh, doing that process man. of showing up. I, I love that part of what you said there. And again, in episode three, when you said I, I, that you, I think you said you struggled calling yourself a writer. Oh yeah. Because you couldn't point to this thing and yes. say it's completed. I fucking love that phrase. I love that concept of how to view yourself. And it's so honest, man. I you're not out there being a poser. If that doesn't age me, Gen Xer right here. <laughs> if you know what poser means, you come from a different time. But yeah, I mean it, it, you're not out there putting up fronts man and it, it really, not to, yeah like once it, i finish the script then i will feel comfortable saying okay i am now officially a writer but i don't yeah i don't i think i'm still just a a, a, a writer in training as i like to call it um i'm an apprentice I love that. <laughs> yeah, but but humility aside 
you are working on a lot. I mean, you're working on too much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got a lot of different projects, which I mean, I, I think I understand that from a, a creative mind, right? You, you, I, I imagine that you come up with a concept that really sparks and you want to get it out on yeah. paper before it's gone. Yeah, and then I, that just sort of becomes a different, that becomes two scripts and a novel and a screenplay. And, yeah. you know, like it, it's all born out of that inspiration. Totally. I, I think it's just, yeah, the combination of, you know, jotting down certain notes that came up and, oh, this, this would play, or at least I see this playing out in this medium, you know, um, or, or this genre that's, yeah. And so that's why the focus has been just try to do, uh, you know, you know, and, and that's what happens with a lot of even directors and, and, and yeah. uh, they're constantly working on multiple projects. They've got multiple, because for, for them too, it's like, this one might be in pre-production. This one might be in development. This one is getting ready for uh, production. You know, they're, they're all in different stages um, because a lot of it is a waiting game, especially with film and television, because you don't. You know, you gotta, the money's got to be right or the money's got to be in. You lose funding because so-and-so backed out or you need so-and-so because that's going to secure you the funding. And You're going to end up being like a McAvoy's character in Split. Like all of these <laughs> projects were written by a different person that all live inside you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. This one, this one was Hot Dog Jesus. This one was Posey. <laughs> this was Hipster Jesus. Yeah. Hey, look, that's a whole cool idea right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would love to see those different acceptance speeches, you know, at, at the awards. Like, it couldn't be the same guy. Yeah, hot show dog Jesus coming stuff. out and, you know, the army jacket, the patches. <laughs> Bro, I, I absolutely love the hot dog Jesus. I hope that doesn't bother you. I think it's cool. Yeah, I, fucking, Jesus. I fucking love it, too. Man, that's that's really, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, before you go, and I know I, I this has nothing to do with anything, man, but with as much music as we talk about inside the walls of, of our uh, network and our collaborators, what's, what's your groove, man? Where do you get your, like, what's your go-to music? What does a writer like you thrive on? I mean, wow. like for me, it's, you know, Brando will make fun of me. It's funk and dance. No, no, no. Tell them what I make fun of you for. <laughs> you tell them what you make fun of me for. Really weird, lame Europop. <laughs> I, oh, are you talking about the French, like techno pop that I listen to? Is that what you? Amongst talking? many other things, yeah, that's that's one of the worst. Oh, oh, well, jeez, you're so picky. <laughs> Everything's got to be so tough and manly. You can't just flow and get your hips moving, man. <laughs> what do you What do you listen to? I, Tony, you know, your, like, I, doing, I, pull, man? I pulled up the. I hope the, you say Tupac right now so hard. I hope you just <laughs> ride low, seats laid back. You know what I'm saying? I hope you're bumping. I mean, I, what, what do you listen to, man? I pulled up the uh, the iTunes library, and I've got such an eclectic taste. You know, I've got I've got some Adele, I got some Edema, throwing it back to the uh, the old wow. school. Um, Alphaville, Alicia Keys, Alt J, Arcade Fire, got some Beastie Boys in here, some Billy Idol, Billy Joel. Nice. Black Angels. Um, What's your yeah. Billy Joel that you can't help but sing with? Um, what? There's a one, I think I was just listening to, uh, 
New York State of Mind is so good. Moving yeah. out, of course. Moving out. Well, moving out. Anthony's song? Oh, hell yeah. Mine is hack, totally hack, 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 Are you kidding me? Like, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that became, like, that's what I love about him. Like, I'm not going to tell you he's great. There's a lot of things he does that's cheesy, but just that that was musically, like, it just fit, right? Yeah. And it came out of nowhere and it worked. It worked. And that song's so fun. And it's so melodic and so easy to kind of get into. Yeah, it's when I'm when I'm writing, I'm noticing that I, I like a lot of the the fucking moody. That's why I think I, you know, Daft Punk was great for it. You know, for, uh, for just yeah, Crystal Method. Um, Thank you, dude. See, look, Brando, are you paying attention? <laughs> are you paying attention? Crystal Method the was Crystal fine. Method. It's not like oh. French. <laughs> Daft Punk was French. Yeah, they were they were the good they were the good ones. They were the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. <laughs> so less cop, unknown French pop, bad, yeah. Daft Punk, awesome, funky uh, robots, I, awesome. Yeah, yeah, dude, the funky robots. That's a nut. We need to do a whole podcast on Daft Punk. We'll have to have you back for that one, Tony. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. And you know, too, like growing up, I was really exposed. Um, to one of my first albums, fucking Smashing Pumpkins, you know, oh, um, yeah. STP, Depeche Mode. Um, I think STP seems like they've been forgotten and they were fucking yes. amazing. Yes. They were really, they, I mean, one of my favorite bands and it just seems like people glo- go right past them when they talk about music of the time. It it doesn't, it, I never hear people say Stone Temple Pilots, You You ever. put put on core and just it still like that fucking album just it just hits every fucking track fly in the vaseline yes i mean look it up put it on spotify you're already on spotify or itunes right now as soon as we're done with the podcast listen (laughs) don't double pilots fly in the vaseline and go from there And yeah. you will, uh, you will, you will be thanking me, and I'll never know it, but I'll know it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Brando, any uh, any parting questions, words, observations? No, I'm just glad to, glad you're able to join us, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what comes out of the podcast in the future, Tony. Thank you, and I appreciate you guys too. Like you, you guys have been an inspiration. Like cranking these episodes out, man. Like I, I, I see you guys busting out these episodes, and I'm like. Let it go, go life. Woo! I gotta keep up with it. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta be on my point, you know. <laughs> but there's been some great episodes. Like I, I really oh, enjoyed. Man, uh, was Mitch? I think you guys had Mitch on episode six, right? Yeah, he came back. Return oh, of the Mitch. God, that just had me cracking up. I just, I loved, loved that episode. One and look, we we uh, I think we find ourselves in quite a fortunate position, you know. All all of us here, um, for those of you who haven't sort of put it together, Ruminations Radio Network is the sponsor of a family of podcasts that are wide ranging. And uh, Brevity Box, which is for Brando and I, has been one of them. And Tony has been there since the beginning with us. Is is really one of those, uh, you know true family in in the heart of this creation of the ruminations radio network all grandfathered in by the man mitch who we mentioned in episode six of brevity box please listen to it again like and subscribe blah blah 
Uh, but yeah, it's, I think we're lucky, man. We've got a good team of collaborators. I think we we're getting, uh, we're getting into the groove, man. I, I don't know. I don't really go back and audit myself. And, um, and if I'm being honest, I haven't, I haven't gone back and listened to every podcast more than once. Uh, you know, I challenge anybody out there if you haven't had the opportunity to to listen through um, Tony's Tall Tales, it it is three very different, interesting episodes. And that uh, that third episode, uh, I I challenge you to to tell me different that at the end you're going to want to buy this guy a beer. You're going to want to go out and buy Hot Dog Jesus, a, a nice tall pint and and just sit and have a good time talking to him man just like we did here man thank you for thanks for taking the time i know i'm long-winded again i suck at brevity but uh i'm getting good at hitting this 90 minute mark and uh I'm really proud i think we've given them well. a lot huh I'm, I'm proud of you you did well oh th- thank you i'm always trying to please you Brando. It's a, i always know you're sitting there in the shadows judging my every move it's warming and makes me feel loved Oh, makes me feel like i did when i was a kid <laughs> no man tony it's been a really good time and uh, i can't wait for the next uh i mean man i'm a fan and uh, i'm glad you're with us man i i think I, I i really hope that the there's people out there who uh recognize that talent and uh, i really can't wait till you win an oscar and you you're up on stage and you're like you know i remember being on brevity box <laughs> With two of my favorite people. I mean, I know I took Aaron Sorkin's master class, but my real inspiration came from that moment. <laughs> and I'll know my life mattered, Tony. I'll know my life mattered then. <laughs> I look forward to it. I look forward to oh, it. Oh, man, what, what a good time this was. Thanks again. Uh, guys, everybody, thank you for, uh, you know, you keep coming back. And I, I'm not sure why, but I'm glad that you do. I think Brando's kind of glad that you do too. Uh, we have a lot of fun making this podcast and and kind of being teamed up with guys like Tony and Mitch and Lash, and uh, we hope that you can can see that in a lot of our conversations. And uh, we want you to take the time check out our network. You know, RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. You will see a a really good variety of really interesting, different, uh, individual, and very entertaining content. And we want you to stick around. Check every single show out. Check them out twice. You might learn something. Maybe you won't learn something. And that'll be even better. And you'll just enjoy your day. Try but it we, out. Yeah, just try it out, man. Just try it out. And if you get that reference, you're a real cool guy. Um, yeah, that's not my line. Thank you, Tommy. I gotta I borrowed it for a second because it was funny. But uh, thanks again for joining us, guys. We will, uh, we will see you on the next exciting episode of Brevity Box. I think for for Tony and Brando and myself, I hope you guys have a great evening, day, morning, whenever you're listening to this, and I hope you come back for more. Thanks Until again. Until next time. See you Be next time. Well. Be well. Be <laughs> well. <laughs>